From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're glad to welcome in Maria Vittorio, who is the Advancement Director and teaches PE and Spanish at our great St. Patrick's Academy. Maria, good day to you. Hello, how are you? Doing fine, doing fine. It's always nice to talk to somebody from St. Patrick's. <laughs> thank you, thank you. One of my favorite schools and one of my favorite saints being Irish. <laughs> there, there you go, there you go. Okay. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Can't uh, can't complain. <laughs> yes. Tell us tell us a little bit, if you would, about uh, uh, here in Catholic Schools Week, if about St. Patrick's Academy. Oh, St. Pat. Well, yes, you know, Saint a lot Patrick's, of history there. Lots of history. Been here what since nineteen thirty-two. The school has been built then. Wow. Um, and then there was a reopening, I guess, of the school in back in two thousand ten. Um, at that time, we had Laura Allen as our principal. Mm-hmm. Today, our principal is Mrs. Newen, and um, we're just going strong. Um, one of um, the things about our school is that uh, we emphasize the arts to be able to kind of give kids a different avenue to be successful in learning, you know, everyday curriculum that, that we're giving to the kids every day here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so... Um, Catholic School Books is going to be a great time to just kind of showcase the school and have people hopefully be able to come and, and visit our school and see what, you know, this beautiful campus. And one of the things about our campus is um, what we call our Mary's Garden. It's, um, mm-hmm. you know, a very, very nice centered um, a garden in the middle of our courtyard of the, the school and um, beautiful yeah. space that the kids love to go in. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, Yeah. So we have a lot of things planned, and I'm hoping that people will be able to come to our um, open house on January 29th from 10.30 to 1.30 okay. and um, see what the school can offer them. And you're on uh, uh, Franklin? Franklin Boulevard, 5945 Franklin Boulevard. 5945, um, yeah. Yes, right next to St. Rose. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I've uh, attended many events down there. Yes, um, uh, yeah, several, and I've been to some of them where you've received them. So the, uh, um, is it TK through 8 now, or what is it? Yeah, we are TK through 8. Um, our school offers after-school program um, daycare also as well for, you know, those parents that um, have a busy day working and uh, need that extra help as they're getting out of work. So, yeah. So before and after care, um, pre-K, TK, all the way to eighth grade. So, wow, I know there's 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 so much history there and so much uh, you know uh, beautiful buildings too. The building is yeah that that's one of the definitely one of the things that uh, really stands out about our our school is, is just the, the grounds that it was on. Um, you know, cool. Trivial fact is that we are also located on the Monterey Trail, mm-hmm. what used to be the Monterey Trail, and um, you know, for Franklin to take you all the way down here to Monterey. So, 
Wow, that's, that's funny. You know, people don't think of Monterey in this area, and I think what we have, an, uh, I think, school in Elk, uh, high school in Elk Grove called Monterey Trail as well. Y- yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, mm. yeah, so, yeah, we, um, so um, we've been pretty fortunate this year, and with, with so much going on, our, our classrooms are, um, you know, have interactive panels now, so a lot of technology that has come into our classrooms to help the kids, you know, give them another opportunity to learn on different um, materials or, or mediums for that matter. Um, but one of the biggest thing is definitely the arts, whether it's music, art, uh, gives kids, you know, again, another avenue for them to be able to connect, make deeper connections to the curriculum that is being taught by our teachers. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Maria. How long have you been there? Um, I've been here a uh, St. Patrick County for now what, uh, going on 13 years. Oh, wow. Um, I've been with the diocese with several schools for 23. <laughs> did you grow up in Sacramento? I did. Uh, yes, I did grow up in Sacramento. So um, I lived in this area. Um, my parents were on Moral Values Program. Oh, so, I, I, think, yeah. I think I know your parents. Yes, you do. Uh, so yeah, that's how I know you. Frank as well. and Monica, is that right? You got it. Yes, yes. They so, uh, used to MC their annual event, which was also at St. Rose. Exactly. Right. Yes. So yeah, so I you know grew up here, knew of Monsignor Cavanaugh. Um, if you say Franklin Boulevard, you know Monsignor. You know. I'm surprised they haven't Boulevard. renamed Franklin Boulevard Monsignor Cavanaugh Boulevard. Uh, you know what? That that would be. Uh, that might have to be something that we put up there to finish. I think I we should. I think we should. Right I mean, I know that they might be a little hesitant to name it after a religious figure, but um, we have uh, we have all kinds of cities in California named after religious figures. So, Why not, right? <laughs> including yeah. Sacramento, uh, exactly. named after the Blessed Sacrament and the Sacramento River and the Sacramento Valley. So, um, and uh, he is good way of pushing that. You know, he did so much great work for the children yeah. of Sacramento. You know, of all of all faiths and of no faith. Um, exactly. No, he did. He, you know, again, I mean, I have to say, he. When you say Franklin and St. Rose, you automatically yep. say Monsignor Cavanaugh. Absolutely. Was, Very. He was the one that you know kept the community together in so many aspects. So. Yeah, yeah. He 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 really did. He he came here when the city was considerably smaller yeah. uh always had a, a heart for the poor and for the yeah. young and yeah. uh um and just just really i i you know i've met a number of people in my life he was he was he was very kind but he was very intense in his beliefs not not only in in, in the catholic faith but in his beliefs about the way to do things and the way to help people yes and, and, and i'll never forget his homilies are always the commandment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no, definitely great, um, you know, great staple to this community. Yep. But, no, um, and then one of the, you know, one of the unique things, too, about, um, well, not necessarily unique, but um, we do tend, we offer financial aid to a lot of our students. Right. So that is a, a plus in there. We want to make sure that we continue that mission of, of being to have this Catholic education accessible you know accessible to many um so that financially that is not just the issue that you can't be 
able to flourish and, and create, be in an environment that, you know, they, um, forms your faith or strengthens it for that matter. Right. So, yeah, we're very privileged this year to have the um, uh, Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament back on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we, we're, you know, keep going strong and, and keeping the, the traditions and things that made St. Patrick's Academy what they were. So, Maria, what, now, there's a history of an orphanage there, is that right? That is right. This is the grounds of the, um, the orphanage, um, gosh, you know, since what, I think the 1940s, 50s, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it closed down in uh, 1972, I think, they, right. they found that away from the orphanage. But Monsignor Kamenak continued with group homes and ensuring that kids still had a place where they could go to because the need is always there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so during uh, during COVID, how were how were you affected? Were you affected more than other schools or not? Oh, I think I think we were all in the same boat. We were all mm-hmm. well, you know, we were all very much affected. Um, but one of the things that we did, I mean, uh, the strength of our leadership, our team. Um, at that time, we had um, Mrs. Lastra as our our principal. We left, and I'll never forget, March 13th, that Friday. March Friday the 13th. 13th. <laughs> yes. Nine, you know, 2019. Yep. We left that Friday. And when our students left that Friday, they went home with all their books and all their materials because we were unsure what was going on. By Monday, our kids were back online, and we were teaching. Our kids did not lose a beat. We ensure that the kids were ready to go, and we worked as hard as we could. We were there for our kids all the time. What, and, what did uh, uh, you know? I've I've heard that story and and have, have uh, told that story to many people. That here here you were on Friday, not knowing what was going to happen, and by Monday you were back. You weren't in the classroom, but you were back teaching online. It's it's just it's such an unbelievable story. It reminds me of the Sisters of Mercy when they came up in 1857, came up the river from San Francisco, five or six of them, and by Monday they 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 had a, a school open in Sacramento with 65 yeah. students. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing how our teachers valued our students and our families that. We we put we took an in, I gave an in service on Friday. This is what you need to do. I'm putting this together. At that time, I was working with technology, and so I was able to get you know get Google Classroom and get Zooms going. And so um, it was quite an undertaking. But um, kudos to our teachers. They they were up for for everything that we have to deal with, and they did it. And they did a phenomenal job. Whether you know, we had the people that were not so techni-savvy, but, you know, we all were there to help each other. And, again, it was mainly, you know, for our students. That that was the main thing that was what get, kept us going. Is yeah, it was, a, it was a sense of mission by all you, all you, you people. You, you just had this great sense of we're supposed to educate these kids, and it might be, yeah. it might not have been what we signed up for, but by golly, this is you, we did sign up for for educating yeah. them and teaching yeah. them our, our great Catholic faith. And by golly, 
you did it. it in terms of tech savvy you guys are really lucky i was not on the faculty because <laughs> all of you would have spent all day trying to teach me how to turn my microphone on on zoom <laughs> no you know it, it's it's one of those things i mean being in catholic education you know it's not it, it's a mission you know we're here because we're trying to fulfill that mission of being able to give the kids something more than what a public school would give them. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to do that and, and take that, um, it's a mission. It's a calling that we all do. Yeah, indeed. So explain how that all came down. It's, let's say it's the morning <laughs> of Friday the 13th, March 13th, 2019. Yeah. You show up yeah. at school. We all know that I think the whole city was concerned about the Sheldon basketball team if they were going to be able to play <laughs> their playoff game, and 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 uh, uh, because it was just the 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 first waves of this were hitting. Uh, I think a student had gotten sick, and um, yeah. we were all just terribly concerned. So so take us from from the morning of Friday the thirteenth to the next Monday morning, and and how you learned about this, and then. Did you all sit down and have a meeting, or how that all how that all transpired? Well, I know that all our te- all our principals were pretty much with each other's diocese, and everybody was just talking. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, the day before, a parent had already said, "Okay, what is going on? All these other schools are closing, and you're not closing. Why is that?" Mm-hmm. I don't know right now. <laughs> we're just taking it as it is. Once we find out what we're doing, you will be the first to know. And this idea was probably Thursday when this parent was like, why aren't you closing? And then the following that, I believe it was that Thursday and that Friday, our principal basically said, okay, we got to be prepared. we got to be ready. In case we do close, we need to have everybody set and ready. So by that Thursday, we kind of knew something was happening. We just weren't too sure. We started creating packets for our kids that week um, just to take home in case technology was not our friend. Mm-hmm. Um, packets. Um, we wanted to make sure that every student and every parent had email addresses, passwords, and how to get into things. Mm-hmm. So. We had already had some Google Classroom training for the kids, but this was going to be a bigger ordeal. So, I mean, it was just from, you know, figuring out attendance, how are we going to do this, and and how are we going to do, you know, make them accountable. So it was a lot of work. Our our teachers were coming on the weekends, printing packets, getting books together, mailing things out. Um, for our little kindergartners or, you know, first graders, who really, I mean, for them to be on a Zoom call would be very difficult for them. Right, right. So we had teachers even already starting to prepare packets. So, um, yeah, no, it was it was run, 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 and we took it. Um, and then just in making sure that we were in communication with all our parents, you know, this is what's going on, here's what you need to do. You know, these are the sessions. Um, so, yeah, and then plus, on top of that all, we had to coordinate what students were in which class so that we didn't overlap mm-hmm. um, meeting after meeting. So it was quite an undertaking. 
So did, did you have students, uh, kids are t gen tend to be more tech savvy than their parents these days, but the, did you have kids that, no, number one, had the tech savvy or at least somebody in the household that could help them? And also, did you have kids that had the equipment that, you know? The, yeah. No, we did. There were some students um, that didn't. And so we had to figure out what are we going to do. And luckily, we had a few devices here that we were able to lend out to the students. Um, in order to be able to continue to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so the, the, there was a lot of hurdles that we needed to, you know, kind of jump over and make leaps and bounds. And um, But if anything, I, I mean, our teachers did a phenomenal job of ensuring that they were there for the parents, for the teachers. I don't want to say 24-7, but they made every effort to ensure that they were communicating with students and parents all the time, which they cut, once we come back, came back to school, it made it harder to wean them off, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm sure as well there would be kids from families that where both parents were working or may, maybe there's only one parent or a grandparent, it, and they don't feel comfortable, you know, leaving their second or third or fourth grader home alone. How did there had to be some of those situations come up too? Um, yes, unfortunately, yes. We, I mean, you know, during the main main stay, we were all sheltered in place, so that kind of helped out for a little bit. But once things kind of reopened and parents had to go back to work, um, that that was another hurdle that. Unfortunately, we tried our best to help, um, but parents did end up either taking them to friends' houses, to the house of friends, or grandma would mm -hmm. be able to step in and try to help with technology the best that they could. Um, and for those instances where technology was not accessible, um, we made sure that students had everything in pencil and paper, and we did the best we could, even if it was a conference over the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, just to make sure that they were getting the material they needed. Was there were there online online uh, courses and things available that you could you could readily switch to? How did that How did that work? Yes. Yeah. So, um, well, we did it all. Mm -hmm. um, our teachers were making videos, um, finding everything they could. I mean, they were they really worked hard because. I mean, they were making videos, they were making slide presentations so that they were accessible all the time for students, any material that was covered in classes. So, yeah, so, no, I mean, it was, um, it was a time not only for learning on, for students, but also as teachers ourselves, we had to do a lot of research to figure out how to get the material to kids to continue to keep them engaged. And that was the hardest part is, how to keep them engaged in these lessons where they are, they're used to us being in the classroom with sure, us. Sure, Now they're just watching me on the screen. How do I know they're getting what I'm trying to get to them? So, um, so no, we, we ensured in some of the programs for the lower grades, um, they had um, sites that were connected to their books, which was a lot helpful. But for the upper grades, um, third grade and up, I mean, we were doing 
a lot, a lot of um, Google Slides, videos, um, and presenting all the time. So no, it was some of our teachers redid a little room so that it was their classroom at home, um, just so that we could help the kids. You know. Did you, did you notice any? Uh, I know there's been some testing that shows. Um, that kids in the Catholic schools didn't have the same, I don't know what you want to say, a decline in terms of learning as in other, in other schools. No, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we could definitely see the difference. Um, our kids, you know, as best we gave the material as best as we could, and they were at least engaged throughout the whole time of COVID. Whereas, I mean, I know, um, you know, some of my teacher friends that worked in public school, it took them almost six months plus to even get back into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that our kids were getting some kind of engagement and some kind of learning while they were out, um, it did make a difference. We did notice when we have new students that enroll um, that we do see that this really affected um, their learning in whatever school that they were in prior. So now we're working to do a lot of remedial and just to try to get kids that are brand new to our school to hopefully get up to speed or at least to get to a point where they are going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Was it... I'm just speculating as as uh, somebody who's had kids of my own through this, although they were... Uh, four of them were teenagers at the time um, that, and seeing the differences within my own kids, um, how they responded to, to remote learning and all that. It, it seems to me the younger a kid was, especially kindergarten, first, second grade, it might be, it might be a lot harder for them to roll with the punches than maybe a seventh or eighth grader. Definitely. Definitely. You got to think about it, even in the classroom. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. The learning span is probably 20 minutes, yeah, and then right. you try to get them, you know, moving to do something else. It's and it's not that that's all the time they've got to learn. It's just they're young and their focus and their mind works completely different. Mm-hmm. And so, in order to keep them even engaged, I, to me, I don't, I wouldn't even see the benefit of trying to keep a student online for hours and hours at yeah. that age to be able to do something. Right. It would be impossible. So, no, that, that part was uh, definitely a little bit harder. So we, when we were dealing with the lower grades, we emphasized that they would meet maybe every other day and ensure that they were doing something on pencil and paper. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's the hand, it's the movement that speaks to the brain that does, you know, those neurons in there and all that all that goes on in our brain to make those connections. So, um, yeah, so now pencil and paper is what we want to encourage them to continue to use. But technology and the bottom and the lower elementary, it's just, it, it was just too hard. I know in our own family, but like I say, our kids were a bit older than that. They were teenagers that um, we had some great family time. and. Yeah. And we, we, we got out by taking, taking Sunday rides, you know, um, yeah. uh, sometimes on a Thursday. Uh, but just get all of us together in the car and, and just go for a ride and, and realize that uh, 
God's still out there. Nature's still out there. Yeah. Um, the the world is going on. Just to just to get us out, you know, roll down the windows and turn up the radio and and you know, um, just like an old fashioned road trip. Um, no, it did. It gave them a lot of opportunity to go out and explore and actually get out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. and really do something more, you know, enjoy nature, like you said. So, no, definitely did that. And um, I, I think a lot of our students did end up doing some of those things where, okay, well, we don't have to be here. We're going to go do this. So, yes, it gave them the opportunity to, I think, reconnect with family as well. Yeah, very much so. So, you're 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 sort of split between being an advancement director and also a teacher. Yes, <laughs> I don't know where I signed it, but yes, yes. <laughs> um, so it keeps me busy. I mean, you know, transitioning from Spanish to PE, and then putting on advancement director. How are we going to fund this fundraiser? That fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're you know we're in the midst of working on our um, crop fee for February 18th. Um, and and just planning all of that so that, you know, with, which those funds from there will help with our financial assistance program uh, for our students. So the crab feed is February 18th? February 18th, yes. Very good, very good. Yeah, God, God gave us those beautiful Dungeness crabs here in Northern California, didn't he? We are very privileged to have those, yes. Yeah. That, you know, helps so many... Um, 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 groups to be able to fund and do what, you know, they need to be able to continue to support kids. So, but no, yeah, February 18th, look for more information from, for a craft feed. Uh, do you want to give a phone number or how can people sign up yeah, for that? If you want to get a hold of us, our number is 916-421-4963. Um, and um, extension 151 and ask for Maria and I'd be glad to give you more information on our craft Great. Do you bring your own melted butter or do you use it provided? <laughs> bring your own butter and your own crackers. <laughs> I remember years ago uh, Crystal Ray had a, had a crab feed and uh, I went with my daughter who was uh, my, was uh, I believe about a fourth fourth or fifth grader at the time and there were some professional crab feed eaters there, you know, and 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 they actually had a little, you know, a little uh, like a, a burner uh-huh. or something that melted their, you know, they had their own little equipment there, you know, with the melted butter and everything, and 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 it was they were sitting right across the table from us, and little Maeve, you know, she got the crab out finally with the, you know, the the yeah. little fork and everything, and she saw them dipping, you know, the crab in the butter, so she just dipped the crab in. Their butter, their not, butter, not realizing it was their butter. <laughs> if looks could kill. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> we we still laugh about it. <laughs> oh, I bet that's a great story. No, yeah, please come support our school. We'll have uh, raffles and um, dessert auctions, so it'll be a fun night. And it will be right at St. Patrick's. It will be um, most likely. Uh, we will be. Right, it'll be held at uh, Kavanaugh Hall Center. Uh, Kavanaugh Hall, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. A, that's a, a beautiful facility, just right there, right. Yes. Right attached. Yes. Yeah. No, we're grateful that we are. We have the ability to use it. Uh, thanks to Father Jose, so it's it's been great. 
That's very good. And the open house is January 29th, 10.30 to 1.30, uh, 5945 Franklin Boulevard. People could just show up? Yes, yes, yes. Please show up. Um, it is open to everyone. Uh, we always, we're going to have for political dancers, our choir singing, information on, um, you know, all the different groups that take place at here at school, um, athletics, student council, CSAC, parent involvement. So then people can really see everything that our school is about. Very good. Well, Maria, it's such a joy to talk with you. Thanks thanks for all you do at the, our great St. Patrick's Academy. And uh, we'll look forward to our paths crossing again soon. And God bless uh, you and all the, all the folks there at St. Patrick's. Thank you, Doug. Thank you so much. And um, it was great talking to you again. Yes, yes. Well, um, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> he does. He does. Yeah. He does. Hey, um, take good care. My, my parents are going to be really happy to hear that I, I spoke with you. So. Well, give them both a big hug for me. They're, they're marvelous people and inspirational people. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank take care. You. Yeah, God bless. <laughs> That's uh, uh, Frank and Monica Victorio started the, uh, uh, her parents started the Moral Values Program and just had turned around uh, the lives of of kids uh, who have, have had a, a, a tough go of things and really, really, really uh, have op- opened their home to them and just uh, uh, just a, a number of really wonderful stories. And we used to go to their annual fundraisers back back in the day and they're just, just wonderful, inspirational people. The uh, That's... Uh, so Frank and, and Monica were Maria's parents. We'll, we will uh, take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. 
Hi, this is Brian Visitation, Director of Media and Communications for the Diocese of Sacramento. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thanks, Brian, for that wonderful introduction and for all the great work you do here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Well, the uh, World Day of the Sick, the annual World Day of the Sick, is coming up on Saturday, February 4th at Our Lady of Assumption Parish, OLA, in Carmichael, 11 a.m., Holy Mass. This is on a Saturday with Bishop Soto. A celebration of the Eucharist will include sacramental anointing of the sick, the blessing of caregivers, and blessing with water from the Shrine and Lourdes, sponsored by the Diocese of Sacramento and the Order of Malta. And uh, speaking of the Order of Malta, we're pleased to welcome in Dave Zarka. Dave, good day to you. Good day to you too, Bob. It's nice talking with you again. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, the Knights of Malta, man, uh, we've heard of them for, I remember sometimes somebody telling me it was the second oldest service organization in the world and the only first service organization i could think of that was older were the 12 apostles <laughs> <laughs> that's about right <laughs> tell us tell us first a little bit about the knights of malta be glad to um the full name is known as the sovereign military and hospitaller order of saint john of jerusalem of Rhodes and of malta now if anyone introduces themselves with that title or that, that reference, then you know they're probably a Knight of Malta. Well, that would um, be hard to fit on a business card. It is. And uh, it was originally founded in 1048 by Blessed Gerard as the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. um, by Papal Bull in, one, in 1113, Pope Paschal II had formally recognized the order as uh, not answerable to any one monarch but was rather sovereign to itself. So mm -hmm. the name Sovereign Military and Hospitaller Order, we explain it that way. And it was originally uh, the knights who were affiliated with it came from such areas as Spain, France, Germany, England, and Italy, and then from there on it spread. Um, when we say it's an order, it's a lay religious order. Mm -hmm. So it's different from most uh, orders in that lay persons rather than the clerics make up the um, majority of the membership. Mm -hmm. Military, because it was knights, and later dames were added. But they were, uh, the knights were essentially there to pr protect pilgrims who were going to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. And this was going on before the First Crusade, and then even during the Crusades. We say it's a hospitaller order, because they ran a hospital in Jerusalem with services open to all, regardless of their national origin. And that charism still applies today. You need a little Latin yes. uh, to go along with it? Yes. To atio fidei obsequium poperum, which means the protection of the faith and the service to the poor. And that's our, our uh, mantra or our, our reason for existence. Mm-hmm. Um, the hospital in Jerusalem was considered to be ahead of its time because um, they were, uh, among other things, they would feed the poor and the people who were sick uh, on silver plates. Hmm. Now, in that wow. day and age, silver, well, they, we say we are here to serve our lords, the poor and the sick, and they meant it. items 
are a lot, uh, you know, are, are, are a lot more sanitary mm-hmm. than the usual wood plates and stuff that were used in the day. And so they found that actually this this choice of serving the sick uh, on such silverware was actually better for them and healthier. Wow. They also had they also ran a, a very nice hospital. It became it became known. So one of the first things that was noted about the order was they were military, they were a hospital order, and today that charism is carried out uh, locally in chapters uh, throughout the United States and throughout 48 countries in the United States. The first uh, uh, Malta-affiliated organization was the American Association, Mm -hmm. and that was in New York in 1927, followed by the Western Association, of which I'm a member. And that basically covers the uh, states west of the Rockies, including Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And that was started in the 1950s with our main office in Oakland, California. Okay. And then the the federal organization, which is located in Washington, D.C., was um, uh, organized in 1974. And today, together, I mean, throughout the world... The Knights, uh, or the Order of Malta, basically has um, personal, uh, pardon me, permanent observer status at the UN, right. as well as diplomatic relations with 112 countries wow. including the uh, European Union. And despite all that, the only real estate that's really owned by the Order of Malta is an is an office in Rome, and. Uh, they raise funds by selling stamps and by contributions of the members whose actual, actually the contributions are used for directly for um, services wow. designated to help the poor and the sick. Amazing. Do, do you have an Olympic bobsled team? You know, Bob, if you'll be the, 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 <laughs> the main pusher, I'll be happy to. I'll be happy to be be the driver. How's that? I'll I'll push it. You can drive it. <laughs> I don't think yeah. you want me driving. <laughs> well, you haven't seen me drive either. <laughs> I I watch that stuff and I think, oh man, you're within an inch of your life there. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. It, it 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 is interesting how you know the the. the you, you you talk about you know diplomatic status and stuff how how that all comes about and the tradition involved in it et, et cetera you know and so you, you say New York in 1927 uh, mm-hmm. just happens to be when Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs just coincidentally you know obviously I think he was probably a great ambassador for America throughout the world probably probably yeah. Who, was it a particular ethnic group uh, that brought it to the United States. Uh, when you say a particular ethnic group that brought it to the United States, the answer technically is no, but the timing of it was obviously after the Great War of mm-hmm. World War One, And many of the European um, um, houses of nobility had been shaken, and it, it, we just uh, the world generally just started looking at America as mm-hmm. being kind of a, on the ascent of, of being someone that, uh, of a country that could possibly... Um, contribute uh, to just you know world stability and world uh, yeah. world help, and there were, as you know, millions of Catholics in the in the United States. Sure. It would have been um, 
who would have been uh, fine candidates for the order. And in that sense, although the order was originally organized among the nobility, so to speak, the noble families of Europe, uh, there was always viewed a, let's say, um, order of uh, magistral grace, which was, even throughout history, someone that was seen to have been to demonstrate those kind of noble qualities, although not having a title, him or herself. Mm -hmm. And so that's how Americans, most of the Americans that are in the order, are orders of magistral grace. If you want a little history about the order, as to why we say, we're the order of St. John of Jerusalem, of Rhodes, and of Malta, Mm -hmm. it was originally because they organized in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem fell in 1291 to um, the Muslims, and at that point, the Knights had moved to the island of Rhodes in mm-hmm. Greece. That was then under attack in 1522, and then it fell. So the the order moved to Malta, and that's where they made their stand. Um, mm. 1565 marks the year of the Great Siege, where 6,000 Knights made a stand under Jean Parisot de Valette. How do you like that French accent? Wow. And uh, they fought against 40,000 Muslim warriors under Suleiman. And in a four-month siege between May and September of 1565, they actually prevailed. That was the first big loss that the Turks encountered. And from then, six years later, was the Battle of Lepanto, which was probably the largest naval battle up to that point in time. And uh, basically... It was up to the Knights of Malta and their affiliates who fought against a large armada of, of, the, uh, of the Turks. And had they not prevailed, um, the Muslim Turks would have taken over the Mediterranean Sea area in preparation for invading all of Western Europe. And had they done so, we'd be talking about a very different history today, a different history to um, Europe and obviously to Western, I should say Western Europe, and inferentially then to the Americas. would have been an entirely different history that we have. So we owe a lot to that, that Maltese armada that, uh, that stood fast in the face of that danger. And now Malta itself is one of the smallest countries in the world. It is. It is. Uh, yet... It's always been a key location in World War II, which mm-hmm. is a jumping-off point for the British right. um, in the invasion of Italy. So it's always been seen as a bastion for uh, protecting the kind of the poor and the weak and that that sort of thing, and defending the right against the against you know. And even though small in size, pretty densely populated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like San right. Francisco, you know. It's like <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like I'm talking about the house I grew up in. Yeah, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. So do you still do the annual pilgrimage to Lourdes where you take I, the lots with you? I'm glad you asked me that. Yes, the, the order uh, does so. The one year during COVID of 2020, it would, that that was the first time that pilgrimage was suspended. I'm mm-hmm. happy to say that it was um, redone again in, in 2021, 2022, and we'll be doing it again in 2023. It's normally done during May, mm-hmm. um, 
at Lourdes, which, for your listeners, is the place where Our Lady appeared to St. Bernadette in the grotto and just said, had asked Bernadette, there will be a spring of water for you to drink and to bathe in, and please do so. And at first, Bernadette looked around and was wondering what the spring she was talking about. And then it actually just sort of bubbled up in front of her. And what's kind of amazing, I've been on the pilgrimage myself for three times. I've been fortunate enough to do that and would love to do it much more and hope to do so in the future. But each time I've gone, you'll see the um, this spring, and it it quietly but persistently sets out the same amount of water, whether the weather is is dry and hot or whether it's rainy and cold. <laughs> it looks it's always the same. It's it's really quite amazing. And every year, the Knights of Malta. Our local group in the Western Association joins with the other American associations that I've mentioned, joins the other associations throughout the world, and we enter into Lourdes accompanied by none other than the sick, and who in French are called the Malades, mm-hmm. so they're referred to as Malades, and they are accompanied by their companions. And together with the Malades and the companions, the Knights and Dames of Malta, um, take a nice span, it's over nine days, basically two days of travel, and the rest is there to for daily prayers, daily mass, um, just to see to the physical, and more importantly, the spiritual needs. Of mm-hmm. Really just amazing. How, how are these people selected, the Malats? Well, they're normally proposed. Someone within the order uh, may know of someone. And you know what? Excellent question, Bob, because if anyone of your listeners out there knows of someone mm-hmm. that is is um, being challenged by a particular uh, illness, uh, maybe injury, or uh, and that, that injury can be physical, it can be emotional, and feel that they would benefit from going to Lourdes and receiving blessings that are abundant and uh, to bathe and drink the water, they should get in touch with um, someone that they, well, I would say their parish priest, maybe, and if they know someone in the Order of Malta, or ask uh, someone in the Order of Malta, and you'll be able to meet us at the um, World Day of the Sickness, um, Saturday, pardon me, the Saturday of February 4th, as you mentioned. But then propose someone. Say that you would like to go on to this pilgrimage. Ultimately, usually usually, every year, we have more applications than places we can fill, but we do try to fill as many as possible. Mm-hmm. Always with a thought. It's always a prayerful contemplation, um, and there's vetting by various medical professionals who are, who are in the order. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's felt that if you go on the pilgrimage, you're actually being invited by Our Lady herself, who mm. wants you there. Absolutely. And it just has, it's just a wonderful feeling. So I hope I've explained that well, and if I haven't, maybe you can follow up with something else, and I'll try mm. a little bit better, but no, it's, that's no, the that's, best way I know how to say it. That's, that's the way I've always had it uh, explained to me. I remember uh, uh, 
a number of times uh, Mike Lambert would come back with a little vial of water for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I always just felt so special because of that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Bob, because for the World Day of the Sick um, and the celebration uh, that the Knights will participate in on February 4th at Our Lady of Assumption Parish, um, it's expected that there will be uh, water directly from the Grotto at Lourdes there so that at the end of Mass, you'll see the Knights and Dames in their... Uh, robes and capes with uh, uh, some Lord's water for people to bless themselves with. Mm, oh, and we feel that that does make, it does mean something. It's a meaningful sacramental mm-hmm. that um, we just want people to know how special this event is. And if we are talking about the World Day of the Sick, we can give you a little, for your listeners, a little bit of history about that and why we're participating. Yeah, that would be that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's uh, remind everybody Saturday, February fourth, eleven a.m. Mass with the Bishop Soto at at OLA Our Lady of the Assumption Parish, which is at fifty fifty seven Cottage Way in Carmichael. Yes, thank you very much, Bob. Yes, the history about the World Day of the Sick was in nineteen ninety two. Pope John Paul II had established that day to urge people to pray for individuals who are sick and their caregivers. And so that what what St. John Paul II um, is is he wrote about how there was a redeeming value of suffering. And that is a concept that is shared by the Order of Malta. In other words, we believe that suffering is not meaningless. Through suffering, we are called to share Christ's passion. And if you're in that position of suffering, know that you should be aware, and it's, it's fundamental to be made aware that that suffering is not useless. Mm-hmm. It's something that brings you closer to Christ, and by offering up suffering, we can actually help, help Christ in his redemption of the world. So the first... Um, World Day of the Sick was on February 11th, 1993, and that was celebrated on the feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. Is mm. this sounding familiar, and why the Knights would be <laughs> yep. involved in this? Because annually since then, um, the World Day of the Sick typically is typically is held on a weekend in February, again to honor Our Lady of Lourdes, and in light of the original World Day of the Sick. So, as you said, wow. Bishop Soto will be on hand at, uh, at our celebration of it, and we're just going to encourage everyone to come, sick or not. And if you are facing a challenge of illness or facing any of the challenges that I've mentioned before, or, for example, you might be preparing for a major surgery, mm-hmm. we invite you to to come to the World Day of the Sick, because during that Mass, there will be, as you say, the anointing of the sick, which is a sacred sacrament. Sure is. To give people that grace, that strength, that gift of God, 
to help you through these tough times. Yeah. And these, this sacrament is not only meant for the sick themselves, but also for their caregivers. Oh, very good. So once again, so that's why we do this. So I'm wondering if uh, Air France uh, waives the uh, requirement you can't have more than three ounces of a liquid if you're carrying Lourdes water. I've got a funny story about that. Really? <laughs> oh, boy. My mom, who's a dame of Malta, will probably, uh -huh. will probably shoot me for telling you this, but I, I have to mention it. On one of our return trips from Lourdes, my mom had with her, I mean, a large bottle. Uh, yeah, sure. Of, Take as much as you can get. And I, I remember t asking her, did you put that in your, is that still, you have it in your carry-on. You should have, you know, um, put it with your luggage to get uh -huh. stored in the bottom of the plane. And she said, well, I have it. Don't let me have it. I said, I don't know about that. Sure enough, we got to the line. And the, and the woman who was, you know, making sure that everyone was following the the appropriate rules to get on a plane, saw this big bottle and said, I'm, you know, very, very politely, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you can't carry that on. Mm -hmm. My mom then protested, but it's Lord's water. <laughs> and she was told essentially that it was still too many ounces. So I just sort of made an announcement to most of the people who were nearby, who were, most of us were returning, mm -hmm. nice and Danes, returning to the, but there were some other people there. I go, who would like to drink some Lourdes water right now? Because we're not about to just dump it out or pour it out or leave it at the airport. So we suddenly had a bunch of hands raised, and everyone just all passed the bottle. But it was Oh, that's a wonderful story. <laughs> it's a bottle of Lourdes water. But, um, <laughs> oh, please, my sainted mother, please don't don't get angry with me for telling that story. But, oh, it, but it is. It, it happened. That's great. <laughs> I, I had a... Uh, yeah. Uh, not a, a direct family member, but a, you know a relative, and uh, but knows that I do Catholic radio, and was uh, in Lisbon, and then went out to Fatima, and and sent me a text saying, "Where's the water? Where's this water?" I <laughs> said, "You're at the wrong shrine, wrong country." <laughs> right, you should have taken a right, not a left. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, it's it, it, Dave. It's wonderful talking to you, and and it's just wonderful all the the great stuff you folks are are doing again um, Saturday, February 4, 11 a.m. Mass, uh, Holy Mass with Bishop Soto at Our Lady of the Assumption Parish, 5057 Cottage Way in Carmichael. If you, For any questions, you can call Tony Real at 916-733-0274. Dave, uh, God's blessings to you and everybody uh, in, uh, involved with this great project. Well, Bob, thank you very much, and thank you for your charism, your helping to get the word out to all your listeners as part of Catholic Radio. We thank you very much. Very good. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. We'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Take care. Yeah, take care. That's uh, uh, Dave Zarka, who is a Knight of Malta. And what, what a wonderful story, that, the whole, the, all the history there, and then the, the, the wonderful story about how far back it goes and, and the history of the organization and where they've moved from and, and all the work they've done. And uh, this is uh, this World Day of the Sick, uh, founded by uh, Pope John Paul II. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of a, so many of the things in our, in our Catholic faith are, are very historical, and they started way, way ago, our, our faith, of course, starting with Jesus Christ. But, but um, the, uh, this was, uh, you know, this is a modern-day event, which was started by 
John Paul II. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. We'll talk to you again soon. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. So the easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. Well, here I am in a river of questions. Can I pour my heart out to a listening ear? Well, I see this life valleys and mountains and I think of all the roads that brought me here oh that brought me here walking down walking down the road well I've questioned my reasons this life I'm living I question my ability to judge wrong from right well I questioned all the things I've ever called certain My race, my religion My country, my mind But the one thing I don't question is you You really love me like you say you do You really love me like you say you do So hold me I need you Hold me Well I've questioned Meaning and relevance Does the work I'm doing Really matter at all Well I question my friendships Alliance, dependence Who will still be here When I fall But the one thing I don't Question Say you.